This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we're concluding our sermon series today on the book of Nehemiah and really going to look at the whole last chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13. It's a longer section, so I'll read it throughout the sermon. So let's pray. Lord God, we are gathered here because we want to be a part of your mission. We want you to lead us in the way that we should go. Lord God, our our spirit is willing to follow you, but our flesh is so weak. So Lord God, help us to watch and to pray that we would not fall into temptation. Help us keep our eyes on you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and do the things in us and among us that only you can do so that you get all the glory. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your mission. In your name we pray. Amen. In 2001, Jim Collins released what's now his best-selling book, Good to Great. Some of you are familiar with this book. Uh, It's a book that was based on research that was done by Jim Collins and a team of researchers. And they, they researched all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different businesses, nonprofits, tech companies, financial institutions, because he wanted to see what were the common denominators, the common characteristics that would lead an organization a business from good to great. And when this book came out, I saw this book everywhere. It had this bright red cover, and I remember going into to dentist's office, uh, doctor's office, classrooms, um, nonprofits, churches. I have my own original copy. I looked in Pastor Bill's office. He's got one. He's got this book on his shelf. Everybody was reading this book because we all wanted to know how we could bring our organizations, our businesses, our schools, our families, our churches. We all want to know how we could make them go from good to great. The only problem is by the time this book hit mass consumption, Some of the top companies that they researched, the ones that we were supposed to be following, were already in bankruptcy, and some of them had already gone through some pretty bad corruption. And so Jim Collins was forced to write another book, not good to great, but How the Mighty Fall. And so he researched those those companies that fell, and he wanted to see what were the beginning signs that they were on their way out, that they were about to fall. Now, if we were to write a book about this church and the church is you people, about us, if we were to, to write a book about us as a church, at Victory, I think we could title it Good to Great. I know I've told you this story quite a bit, but many of you are new to this congregation. Do you know this congregation started in a small Bible study in the home that we're in by the previous pastor, Pastor Ben Kurth? And Pastor Ben Kurthy started with this small group of people and it, it grew from good to great. It, it went into the Polonia soccer field and, and met in their common room there. And then after that, it got so big, it went from good to great and moved to, to the cinema, to the theater. And then it grew so much from good to great that we built this building. 
And, and so we continue to grow and reach more people and have this mission to reach today's people with Christ's victory. But my question for all of us, especially all of us, I'm a pretty still fairly new leader at this church and many of you are new to this congregation. What's the next book that's going to be written? What's the sequel to our story? See, Jim Collins, he wrote quite a few books. He wrote that book, How the Mighty Fall, and he also wrote a book, Built to Last. Which one's going to be our sequel? Are we going to be the story of how the mighty church victory fell? Or are we going to be built to last? Now we're continuing our sermon series, Forward No Matter What. And this sermon series has all been about the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not a very familiar story. Even to those of you who grew up in a Christian home and went to maybe Christian schools or Sunday school, I've noticed that most uh, children's literature cuts off after maybe Daniel, never gets to the book of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, this book, is the last book chronologically in the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle of your Old Testament, but chronologically, as the story goes, this is the last story in the Old Testament before the 400 years of silence before Jesus showed up on the scene. And in this last story in the Old Testament, you could say that what we've seen so far as we've gone through this sermon series is Nehemiah is a story of good to great. Just to kind of review the things that we've learned, remember this year, it's about year 444 BC. And for the most part, Israel is in a good situation. They've come back from exile. They were, they were in Babylonian exile because of their sin, but then God, after seven years, 70 years of exile, brought them back to Jerusalem, funded the rebuilding of the temple, and things were pretty good. But they weren't great. The temple, or the the walls around the temple were still in ruins and there, there really wasn't the, the religious fervor and revival that there needed to be. And so Nehemiah, he had this vision from God to start this mission. And that's what this whole sermon series has been about. So the first sermon, we see how Nehemiah cast a vision to rebuild the walls and bring the glory back to Israel. And then we talked about, remember this sermon? We talked about how everybody had a spot on the wall. How everybody had a role to play to rebuild that wall. Then Pastor Bill preached on, on how there was outside opposition that Nehemiah had to face. He didn't back down. He had the courage to face um, enemies like Tobiah and Sanballat. Then I preached a sermon um, on how he faced inward corruption. How the leaders were corrupt and they were selling their daughters off into really sex slavery. Uh, there was this in, inside corruption and so Nehemiah faced that. And the last week, Pastor Bill talked about the spiritual revival that took place. And if we had time, we would, we would talk about the dedication service that, that after 52 days of hard work, the, the, the walls were rebuilt. They had this incredible dedication service. The mission was accomplished. And we'd like that to be how the book ends. But that's not what happened. There was a fall. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, the last chapter is about a fall and how they fell from their high place of success. And if that could happen to God's people with this great leader, Nehemiah, don't think it can't happen to victory. And so here's the question I want to answer today. How do the mighty fall? 
How does that happen? How do great churches, great organizations, great families, how do they go from their high place of success and how do they fall? And to answer that question, we're going to dive into our text from Nehemiah chapter 13. And this is what we find out. It says this. But while all this was going on, I, Nehemiah, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Do you remember Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king and he come to Jerusalem to do this mission. Well, he finished the mission. They rebuilt the walls. He went back to the king, Artaxerxes, as a cupbearer. But sometime later, I asked permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So what's going on? Well, Nehemiah, he accomplished his mission to rebuild the walls, return the glory back to Israel. And he left to go back to Artaxerxes to be the cupbearer. And while he was away, the high priest at the time, Eliashib, gave a corner office in the temple to Tobiah. Remember, Tobiah was that enemy of God who tried to stop the rebuilding of the walls, but they gave a corner office in the temple to Tobiah. Uh, That the enemies of God were allowed to to live in this storeroom that used to be stored for the tithes and offerings and the furniture for the temple and all the work of the house of God. Well, Tobiah was living there. And Nehemiah couldn't believe it. They're letting this pagan enemy of God who hated Israel. They gave him a place of honor and leadership and a corner office in the temple. And so when he heard about it, Nehemiah is a man of action. He got back there. He took all of Tobiah's stuff and threw it out the window. Now the question really is, is why was there even room for Tobiah to be there in the first place? Why did he have room in the storehouses where the grain and the tithes and all of the the temple furniture used to be stored? Well, let's read on and see why there was room. He says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. They were not getting paid. And that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to the fields. So the worship leaders stopped leading worship and they went back and farmed because they weren't getting paid. So I rebuke the officials and ask them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. And Nehemiah offers up a prayer. And so remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of God and its services. So why was there room in the house of God for Tobiah, the enemy of God, to to take up residence? Because they weren't using the house of God for worship anymore. They were were no longer using the house of God to store the tithes for the priests and the, the money to pay the priests and the worship leaders. They were no longer using it to store the furniture for worship. They weren't using the house of God. So the Levites went back and started farming And they started bringing in secular leaders uh, to live inside the temple. In other words, 
God's people didn't think they needed God anymore. They didn't think they needed the house of God anymore. They accomplished their vision. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls around it. They had done what they thought they did and their mission was over. It reminds me of what Jim Collins found out when he wrote that book, How the Mighty Fall. Jim Collins says that the first indicator, the first indicator that the organization is about to fall, he says, is the hubris of success. Which is just a fancy way of saying pride. That when a a people, an organization, a church, whatever it is, thinks that they've already accomplished their mission, that they don't need to do anything more, that they're already pretty impressive and they're, they're good on their own, when they get to that place of pride and they get full of themselves, that is the first indicator of a great fall. And I want to know, is there any indicators of that here amongst us? You know, we've accomplished so much as a church. Again, we've gone from this tiny little group that was meeting in a home to now having this big, beautiful building. And do we feel like we've accomplished our mission and it's all over? Is there neglect of our house? I, I know we live in a, a post-pandemic world, but what we've seen is that, that volunteering has gone down at this church, that worship attendance has gone down in this church, that the dedication to this place has gone down. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to, well, first let's answer this question. How do the mighty fall? Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. When we get to the point where we think we don't need God anymore, we don't need him anymore, we've accomplished the mission, everything's just fine. When we get to a place of pride, pride comes before the fall. So what do we need to do? What did Nehemiah tell God's people to do? What what is God telling us to do? I think it's this. Let's devote a sacred place for the Lord. Let's be devoted to the house of the Lord. Now, I know we live in in a world right now where a church that's a digital and a physical church. And so many of you are worshiping online and you're you're all around the the other side of the world and, and you're worshiping all over in different places. I would still encourage you, find a place to, be, to, to devote to the Lord. Find either a local church or a place to gather with other believers. Find a place you can set aside for the Lord. I know some of us aren't ready to come back to this physical place yet because of health issues or, or compromised immune system. But for many of us, we all could be here Sunday after Sunday And I want to encourage all of us to devote a place of the Lord. That this is a sacred place that we come to do something we don't do anywhere else. We get the Lord's Supper. There's nowhere else that I can go in the week. I can't get the Lord's Supper on a podcast. I can't get the Lord's Supper digitally. I want to come to this place to hear God's word and to get the Lord's Supper. To receive again that Jesus loves me and accepts me And he is for me. So I want to encourage all of us so that we don't fall into a mighty fall. Let's again be devoted to the place of God. Well, what else was going on that was signs of a great fall in Nehemiah's day? He says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and and loading it on donkeys together with 
wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that all our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath? When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and opened and not opened until the Sabbath was over. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. And then he offers another prayer like he did last time. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. So the Lord gave God's people the Sabbath day. This goes all the way back to the day of creation. It's it's in the fabric of how God created the world. That, that God created our human bodies to need a day to rest and worship. And for God's people, that was the first day of the week on Saturday. They would worship and rest as a way to remember that God was in charge. As a way to remember that God gave them energy. God gave them jobs. God gave them rain. God gave them crops. God gave them salvation. And so they rested to recognize that God is the one who does all the heavy living, lifting. God is the one who do, does all things. But now they don't see God. They're filled with pride. They don't think they need God. They think they can do it all on their own. And so their whole life blurred and there was no day to take off, no day of rest. And so they were working on the Sabbath day, always working, never setting aside time for the Lord. And that was a sign that they were on the verge of a great fall. And I want to ask you, do we have time for the Lord? Now, I know we live in a, in a digital world and our world is just so different, so fast-paced, so many things that are going on. But if there are things that are really important to us, we put time into it. And I think out of all the different things that were going on in that day, this is one that I need to think about more than ever. To set, I used to really um, work hard during the week so that I could set aside a whole Saturday to be with the Lord to turn off my phone Friday night, to turn it back on Sunday morning, to rest in the Lord, to set aside time for the Lord, to be devoted to the Lord. And I've noticed that when I don't do that, everything else falls apart. My health falls apart. My relationship with God falls apart. My finances fall apart. Everything falls apart when I think it's all about me and my busyness and what I'm doing. And then Sunday, it's not really the day off for me. I I, I do some work on Sunday, one day a week, right? But I want to ask you, you know, we, there are things that are really, really important to us. Sports, really important to us and our kids, our family too. There's, there's rest and recreation, some things that are really important for us and us too. Work, there's a day for work. There's all these things that, that we put time into. Do we see the value of setting aside time for the Lord? And if we don't, we're not living out of the energy of God. And if we don't set aside time for the Lord, that might be a sign that we're on the brink of a great fall. And so here's what I think Nehemiah is encouraging us to do. Devote sacred time to the Lord. Devote a place to the Lord. Devote time to the Lord. Now, traditionally in the Christian church, the day of the Sabbath has been Sunday. 
because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so every Sunday is supposed to be a celebration of Easter to say, this is the most important event in the history of the world. I'm going to devote this day to the Lord. But if we don't devote a place to the Lord, a day to the Lord, I think it's a sign that we're on the brink of a great fall. Well, what else was Nehemiah concerned about? He says this, Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. Half of the children spoke the language of Ashad or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Nehemiah is a little upset. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jehoiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember Sanballat, the enemy of God? And now the last prayer that Nehemiah says, Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites, and remember me with favor, my God. So what was Nehemiah really upset with? Nehemiah is not a racist. He's not concerned about mixing with other races. That's not his concern. In fact, there's a book of the Bible, the book Ruth, about a Moabite woman, faithful woman to the Lord, who's got this incredible story and how she, she uh, followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, and married Boaz and becomes the great-grandmother of David and the line of the Savior. And so Nehemiah, nor God, uh, looks down on different races or people. What he's talking about here is the pagan faith. What he's concerned of is these, these families are giving their children over to all these other religions and don't think it's that big of a deal. They're giving their children over to all these other philosophies, all these other ideologies, and some of them practice child sacrifice. Some of them practice um, all sorts of crazy sexual practices. And the families are breaking down. They're not devoting their families to the Lord. And because the families are being, are, are being broken down, he sees that they're drifting away, that this is a sign that the next generation is going to have a great fall. And so what does this mean for us? Well, we want to have a mission. We've said this from the beginning of the sermon series. Our mission is to reach today's people with Christ's victory. And we want to reach not just the people of Franklin, but we want to reach the people of, of our communities, not just our communities, but we want to reach not just the people of our, of our country, but we want to reach to the ends of the earth. We want to be a church that's all about missions. But our primary mission is our home. It's our home. And if we're not 
devoting our children, our family, our cousins, our relatives, if we're not devoting those people in our family to Jesus, we're missing out on the primary way that we can affect the most people. Devoting and letting your children see you in worship when your children and your family members and people that are, that, that are close to you, your friends, when they hear you sing to Jesus and they see you pray to Jesus and they see that you devote a place to the Lord, a time to the Lord, you will affect more people through your family than anything else that you do as believers. And so here's what Nehemiah was so concerned about and I think something that we want to think about. Devote a sacred people to the Lord. That means your family. Devote your family to the Lord. And it's my concern that as I look out on our congregation, where are our teenagers? You know, we have our kids and, and Victory Kids, but where are our teens? They might come to youth group, but why aren't they here? Why aren't they worshiping? And if we don't have our teens here, what does that mean for the next generation? What's going to happen? Is this a sign that we're on the cusp of a great fall? Now, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard for me, for all of us? I, I'm in the same, but why is it so hard for us to devote a place to the Lord and time to the Lord and our people? Why is this so hard? Why is this not just automatic for us? Well, Jesus told us when he was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was about to go to the cross, he told us everything we need to know about our struggle. He said this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know that our spirit is willing. We want to follow God. We want to set aside a time, a place. We want to set aside our family for God. We want to do this. I want to do this. We all want to do this. But all of us, me included, our flesh is so weak. And if we don't pay attention to this, if we're not constantly watching and praying, if we're not giving ourselves to the Lord day after day, our flesh will take over. And that's why we need something even greater than Nehemiah and his leadership. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's why we come to this place week after week because we need Jesus and his word and his sacrament. That's why we said time aside to be with Jesus. We need his forgiveness and acceptance for all of our sin. We need his strength. That's why we, we bring our, our family around God's word because we need Jesus to wash all of our sins and forget our yesterdays so that we can move forward with hope and purpose. So what do you say, victory? We have an inherited an incredible church. So much of the work that's been done to lead us to this point today has been done by, by, for me, it's been done by other pastors. It's been done by other people. It's been a story of, of good to great. And now you and me, we get to write the next chapter, the next book, the sequel to this story. What are we going to write is the book that we're going to write, How the Mighty Fall, that we gave up on the mission, we gave up on this place, gave up on this people, gave up our time? Or is our book going to be built to last? You see, our vision to reach today's people with Christ's victory, our vision is only as strong as our people. 
Our vision is only as strong as our people, as God's people. And so, motivated by his love, filled with his Holy Spirit, let's dedicate this place, this time, these people who sit around us to the Lord so we can be built to last. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege to come in here again today, listening to your word. Our spirit is willing, Lord Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to participate in the kingdom of God. But our flesh is so weak. It's pulling us away. It's, it's distracting us. It's, it's offering things that don't satisfy And so, Lord Jesus, show us again your love, fill us again with your spirit, and put us all on mission to further your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.